How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. This is our 96th episode, but technically our 97th episode <laughs> because uh, we lost an audio file, which has never happened ever to me. It actually only happened one time with a video where I was working on something at work and Austin accidentally deleted the entire video and we had to reshoot it and it was mostly done. <laughs> That's the only time we've ever lost anything at work or on my channel or in the podcast. And now I have one more notch to put on the old belt because for some reason, Audacity just recorded my whole track with a bunch of pops yesterday. And I was like, I couldn't fix it. And I, even if I could kind of mitigate it, it just wouldn't be worth listening to. So we're like, all right, we'll just re-record it. So George was nice enough to get off work at 4:30 his time and hop on here we're gonna redo the whole thing how's it going pretty good i'm ready for round two so there's good topics in this one yeah it'll just be cleaned up it'll be smarter i think overall and we switched out some of the news stories to be more horror centric overall so it might be a good thing we also have a really cool little interview that's coming at the end of the show Basically, after we talked about Trick last week, we went on the director, Patrick Lussier's website, to see if we could get him on the show. He doesn't have a contact link, but recently followed me on Instagram, so I'm going to see if I can figure something out there. But we went to the press section on his website, and he has all of the positive buzz about his movies listed, which is pretty common. We clicked on a review from the Midwest Film Journal and just loved the voice that this guy who wrote it called Evan Dossi we loved his voice. He's hilarious. He's a great writer. We saw that he runs the Heartland Film Festival in Indiana and we're Midwest people. So we reached out to him and he answered immediately and we found out we were like the three people who like trick. So we <laughs> talked to him. Uh, it's a great interview. I will warn you guys, it was recorded on Zoom. So it's about the same level of quality as the host interview. It came out pretty good. It was a really nice conversation. I think it's actually worth sticking around for because you can hear what it's like to run a film festival when you've kind of got to balance, you know, conservative old people, which is a lot of the people in Indianapolis, and also bringing in horror movies that they might not like and also trick. So stick around for that. In the movie review section, we've got two Alexander Daddario movies. It's a Daddario double feature. We've got We Summon the Darkness and Texas Chainsaw 3D. It's an exciting conversation <laughs> we're about to have. I know that because we already had it. So, George, let's get into the news here. First up, tomorrow, Friday, August 14th, Last Drive-In Summer Sleepover Special begins at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. I'm really excited. Adam Green's going to be on. He's the director of George's favorite movie, Ho uh, Frozen, not Host. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I'm really excited for it. Adam Green's going to come on the show and talk about Frozen and Hatchet. And Frozen's one of George's favorite movies. And he's got some surprised other guests like Kane Hodder, Felissa Rose, Tiffany Shepis, and Brian Quinn. Of Impractical Jokers fame. Yeah, <laughs> the man himself. I love Q. Yeah, he's awesome. He was great in Victor Crowley. I, I really like that movie. And I had a great idea today when I saw that Terrifier is getting a comic. I was like, they should do Victor Crowley versus Art the, Art the Clown. Yeah, that would be really That'd fun. Be a cool movie. It'd be a cool matchup. Like an indie horror icon uh matchup i think victor crowley would break him in half <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> victor crowley's a bit supernatural <laughs> yeah art can manifest himself in other people i guess though so i don't know It'd be pretty cool so if anyone's got got an idea for that hit me up fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com so we have 
a quote from Joe Bob about this. He says, we've never squeezed so many guests into the trailer park before. All five of them are icons from the guy who created Hatchet to the guy who played Jason to one of the masterminds behind Impractical Jokers to two <laughs> bona fide scream queens. I call this a pop culture brain exploding overdose. And they all came ready to dish. There's a really cool story I saw online where Q, it might have been when he was filming Victor Crowley. He's a former New York firefighter. And the hotel they were in caught on fire. And I guess he was late to filming one day because he led the the firefighters in putting out the fire in this hotel. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I didn't know he was a former firefighter. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like all those guys were all blue-collar dudes. Yeah, I, definitely. I like that they're so successful. I didn't realize they were as big as they were because people always make jokes about the Impractical Jokers cruise and shit. But... Q has a million followers on Twitter. That's insane. I would go on the Impractical Jokers cruise, unironically. Yeah, that'd be fun. I don't get, like that's just guaranteeing you get a good comedian show every night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm excited to have CC Adam Green on here because he's really cool. I really like him and uh, Joe Lynch, who we interviewed a long time ago. I think back in 2017 when Mayhem came out, we interviewed him on the show, and he was awesome. Uh, they do the movie crypt podcast, which I think is really good. It's like a podcast where they talk about, where they talk with other filmmakers about what it's like getting movies made when you're not extremely big time and don't have all these opportunities fall in your lap and all the concessions they had to make on the stuff that they created. So it's a cool podcast. He's a cool guy. Uh, I think it's going to be really fun and we're going to get on discord and watch it. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that was kind of a really fun start to the quarantine where, all of us would kind of hang out and watch the Joe Bob special every Friday. So I'm happy to see see it come back, but it's probably going to be a while before we see it again. There's no way they're doing a Halloween, Thanksgiving, or Christmas special unless they were already filmed. Because that's why this one is even happening. They filmed this pre-COVID. So they stay pretty far ahead. I'm hoping they were able maybe to squeeze in a Halloween one too just like another double feature obviously thanksgiving's out and i'd guess christmas is too just because it's that's a lot of content to make that early but if you guys didn't know joe bob actually had COVID 19 and just didn't tell anyone because it happened while they were airing season two of the last drive-in and he didn't want to take away the conversation so i feel like it might be a little bit before they actually are able to record anything new so this, i hope this is good that's a lot of guests pretty star-studded uh, Victor Crowley is a fun watch. I haven't watched it since we did for the show back when that movie came out. So I liked it on my first watch, so I'm excited to revisit that. Um, and just generally that format's a, always a fun watch. I'm really excited to hear some behind-the-scenes stuff on Victor Crowley because... Yeah, you know that's insane. <laughs> like, you know that yeah. the stories are, like, crazy. The coolest thing about that was when he announced it, it was already done, right? Like, it was a done, finished movie, and then he announced it with a tour, like that one Kevin Smith did for the Jay and Silent Bob sequel. Mm -hmm. And apparently that got this movie really big because they would sell out every theater it would show at. It was called, like... I forget what it was called. I wish I went to it, uh, but we caught on to this Victor Crowley business a after it was on Blu-ray. So that was after the tour had concluded. But it sounds like it was a lot of fun just to ha have the director take his movie on tour, talk about it before it plays, and you get all these cool tidbits. I know Three From Hell did that too last year with that three-night special event. That's just a really cool way to release these smaller horror movies. Yeah, it adds kind of like an interesting flavor to it. And, you know, if you jump on it early, if you're like a hardcore fan it's like an interesting little extra 
thing you get for going and supporting them. Yeah, and Adam Green hasn't really put out a lot since Victor Crowley, so it would be cool if he kind of hinted or teased whatever he's doing next because I know that guy's always working. He's an insane work ethic. It's crazy. And also their show, uh, they had a sitcom about their career, him and Joe Lynch, called Holliston, and it used to show on FearNet. And apparently it was like notoriously hard to get it renewed after FearNet shut down because it was an on-demand show. So it had no Nielsen ratings, they were saying, and it they couldn't provide any data on it because Comcast wasn't handing that out free, freely after the like FearNet shut down. And it was pirated a lot, obviously, because you needed a cable subscription to watch it on demand. Right. So Shudder's actually putting the first two seasons on Shudder and if it does really well and there's like a big social media campaign for that, like there always is for Joe Bob, I could definitely see them doing a third season, which would be a lot of fun. Yeah, they kind of pimp that show in, uh, what was that, Under the Marrow? Was that the name of that movie? Or Digging Up the Marrow, sorry. Where they're talking about like the tour that's going on and like he's kind of splitting his time between, you know, researching these cryptids with this guy and writing the third season or second season of the show. So that's really my only exposure to it, but I think it'd be to to check out especially on shutter yeah i agree i'd really like to see that so hopefully they get a lot of viewers on those first two seasons but speaking of kane hodder we've got a new movie that's halloween set it's actually out now and it stars kane hodder it's from gravitas ventures we've talked about them a few times as a distributor on the show it's called the good things devils do and it stars kane hodder linnea quigley and bill oberst jr it's written and directed by a woman named jess novisgaard and it's basically a heist movie where these two retired gangsters are coming and button heads, right? So one of them wants to retire, but he has to take on one last job. He's got to go steal money from uh, Kane Hodder. But Kane Hodder just wants to make a museum of the macabre. And he has this huge, crazy exhibit where he acquires vampire bones and then it comes to life i guess and then he has to team up with the other guy to take down the vampire it sounds pretty cool the trailer for it made it look pretty interesting to me i mean the the effects look cool um you know seeing kane hodder kind of walking around with his halloween 3 mask on is is always fun i don't know it just seems like kind of a cool watch and i'm already transitioned into the full-on halloween mode so anything set on or around the holiday I'm, i'm definitely down to watch that right now Yes, and also, for those of you who are new here, we talked about a couple weeks ago a movie called Monstrous that was like a new Bigfoot movie, and that's out now. I think we'll have to check that out probably this weekend for a show in the future. I'm really excited about that. (laughs) But yeah, I'll check this out because it's set on Halloween, and the trailer actually, it impressed me because obviously with these micro-budget distributors like Wild Eye, Raven Banner, and I guess, uh, what's this one, Gravitas? You, you go in expecting nothing, and then you're impressed sometimes, and sometimes your expectations are met. But this trailer had a really cool score, and it was shot well. And like George mentioned, you get to see Kane Hodder wearing the skull mask from Halloween 3, which is dope. <laughs> so I think this one's probably worth renting. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to rent it for sure. Yesterday, we didn't get to talk about this one because it came out today but i thought it was pretty interesting gary j tunicliff the effects guy from trick who we talked about uh last week on the show he is also the director of the last hellraiser movie it's called hellraiser judgment and he basically he did all the effects on pretty much every hellraiser sequel and then really just got in his head where the story should go so after badgering 
Bob Weinstein, I guess, over at Dimension, he got to make Hellraiser Judgment. And then literally as that movie was coming out, the whole Me Too movement happened and Dimension went away and like everything just went into free fall. So he talked to Bloody Disgusting, a writer named Jason Lankins for his new, uh, I guess it's like a recurring feature he's going to have on unmade movies. I highly recommend checking it out, but I kind of just picked out a few of the details. He would have made a sequel that was very Southern Gothic. And it would focus on a married couple who moves to a town called Judgment. And it's a doctor and his family. They have marital problems because the husband cheats a lot. But they think things will be better in this new small town. And they also have a teenage daughter. So the town is run by a judge and a sheriff. It's really religious. It's kind of like Footloose where there's no celebration allowed in the town. (laughs) And did you ever watch Hellraiser Judgment? We didn't do it for the show. No. Okay. No, I never got around to watching that one. So spoilers for Hellraiser Judgment. I'm going to long story short it. Basically, there's this guy named the Auditor, and he has these uh, houses on Earth called the Stygian Inquisition. And basically, they kidnap murderers, rapists, child molesters, and they bring them there. And it's basically like these houses are basically human processing plants that have a doorway to hell. So they run your sins through this computer, and he's the Auditor. So he decides how severe your sentence is going to be, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole other subplot in that movie where Pinhead is kind of at odds with the angels from heaven. And basically, at the end of the day, Pinhead fucks up and gets kicked out of hell and he's just a human. So picking up after the end of Hellraiser Judgment, where Pinhead is now a human, he kind of makes his way towards this judgment town. And the auditor is hanging out in hell. He misses Pinhead. There's a new hell priest, which is what Pinhead's title was, and they don't like him. And then it turns out eventually that this town of judgment is the whole city itself is a Stygian inquisition that kind of attracts bad people, right? And then the wife, it turns out, she was uh, hired by the auditor to bring her husband there to be processed into hell. The judge in the town turns out to be the auditor. And then Pinhead as a human shows up and gets processed back into hell, becomes Pinhead once again. And then they're like, let's get to work. And that's the end. Like they have a whole town where they can process people into hell. (laughs) Honestly, a pretty good idea. Like that does seem like a fairly interesting way to take it. I mean, it would also give you the opportunity to humanize Pinhead for a whole movie and be able to see kind of like inner working of his mind in a different way than we've seen it in the previous movies. So would have been kind of a cool opportunity for that character. Yeah. One of the coolest parts about judgment is that even though it was a really low budget movie, like micro budget, it took place in one or two settings, mostly inside a house. It was lit really well. And the effects were extremely well done just because it was directed by an effects person. And Gary J. Tunicliffe plays the auditor. He really likes this character he's come up with. It's like a new Cenobite. And all of the stuff with that, I always, I thought was really cool. And he kind of talked about why that movie didn't turn out so well. Obviously, the, the low budget, the fact that it's like the 10th Hellraiser sequel, all of that is working against it. But he explained how things worked at Dimension. And he talked about how, like, he would make this movie that he got green uh, judgment. And then he would bring the cut to Bob Weinstein and Bob Weinstein would take a look and say, okay, that turned out pretty good. Here's a hundred K to go flesh it out, reshoot some stuff, add in some scenes. And one of the things he would have added is really fleshing out the moment where Pinhead is like unhellified. So they would have been ripping the pins out of his head, cleaning up his scars. It would have been like this gory, painful, like disgusting scene 
but it really just turned out to be he gets kicked through a doorway and obviously because of the me too movement none of this could have happened so we got this mediocre movie and i I don't know what else he's got going on post trick but with how poorly that movie was reviewed i think they're gonna have to come up with some new ideas (laughs) i feel like unfortunately as much as he seems to love the hellraiser series i don't know if if anybody even really is going to have another crack at it for a while. I mean, I could see like a possible reboot for the franchise in the next like five years or so, but I think that <laughs> Hellraiser as a whole is probably going to be left alone for a while. Yeah, we are getting that new movie from Spyglass, and I the people who are directing it are escaping me, but there's some they're people we really like. And then David Gordon Green is doing a Hellraiser uh show for hbo max that takes the first two into account and kind of just ignores the rest of them it's like a halloween 2018 approach so uh, the future is bright for hellraiser but the lore was so crazy by the time these kind of wrapped up that i i i found them to be like guilty pleasures honestly they're a lot of fun yeah i mean (laughs) having that kind of deep backstory something you can kind of fall into is sometimes the best part capped off our little description here in our document with a this picture of Gary J. Tudicliffe as the auditor, and then <laughs> this new guy who played Pinhead in Judgment. They both look really happy to be in the picture, but it's kind of fun. It looks like a high school photo. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, if, you, if you want to see it, go follow us on Instagram at Fear Frequency. I posted it, and then you can comment with name this band. I thought it'd be funny because it, lo- it looks like an album art. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, I don't know, some bad rock band made this a one of their album covers as a joke (laughs) i'll make it the art for this episode (laughs) next up rl stein is coming back in a big way so we already know that netflix is making an essentially r-rated goosebumps show they're bringing goosebumps back it's going to be for adults so that's pretty cool they're also releasing three fear street movies next year called summer of fear i know i I put this in reverse order on our doc but i'm going to talk about the movies first the movies are coming out next summer. They're calling it Summer of Fear. It's directed by Lee Janayek. And these movies are all shot, which is bizarre. So they're just going to sit on them for a year. And the first one's called Fear Street 1. In 1994, in the aftermath of a brutal tragedy in Shadyside, Ohio, a group of teens discovered that a series of horrifying events have plagued their town over many years. And they might not be random and that they might be the next victim. Very standard. Number two, it's a camp story. Looks like a, you know, a riff on Friday the Thirteenth. Third one is a mm-hmm. colonial town is ri- a colonial town is gripped by a hysterical witch hunt that has deadly consequences for centuries to come, and it's up to teenagers in 1994 to try and finally put an end to their town's curse before it's too late. That one sounds awesome. Yeah, that one's the one I'm most interested in by a pretty wide margin. They have a cool vibe. You were asking me before the show started if like fear street was a young adult it's it's somewhere in between goosebumps and like a real young adult horror book like it's still i'd say like 13 to 17 is the age range Mm -hmm. it goes for but it has some pretty dark stuff in it yeah i mean i haven't really visited any of those um i mean i think it's cool that rl stein is still making books and making them for like a little bit older crowd um but i just haven't really ever gotten into the fear street series but it sounds interesting sounds cool i think disney is the one who made these movies and they just kind of got rid of them or something i i don't really know the full story here but i know that netflix acquired them instead of making them which means a good that's a good thing because the movies that netflix (laughs) makes are generally bad 
So right, uh, like these I, could have actually had a budget when they were made, and <laughs> right. <had> like. <laughs> and I'm sure they went back and reshot a few of the things to make it less Disneyfied, like more scary for kids, especially after uh, what was it called? Are you afraid of the dark? Last year, I went and binged that. I bought it on Amazon because for some reason it's really hard to get. They never released it on Blu-ray. It's not streaming anywhere, and you can only get it on DVD. So I was like, all right, I'll get it on Amazon for like twenty bucks. That was really good. I enjoyed every episode. It's not, and it's like an anthology, but it has a core group of main characters. So like something different happens each episode, which I thought was great. Yeah, I never got to check out that series either, so maybe I'll revisit that. Definitely should talk about that closer to October because it's set all around Halloween. It's awesome. And I think Gary Doberman wrote part of it, so he knows how to write kind of like kid horror like that. Right. Especially after uh, Annabelle comes home. And then the other Fear Street related thing here is the original four books are being re-released in a new collection. And three out of four of these are the movies, I think. So we kind of just talked about which ones they were. But the cover's really cool. It's like a watercolor uh, type deal where you've got trees on either side and there's a skull. Got the handwritten Fear Street across the top. With It's called Fear Street The Beginning. You can pre-order it now. I, I'm going to pick this up. I'm always game for a good horror book. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm also going to pick these up just, just to at least uh, kind of flesh out these backstories a bit before the movies come out. Yeah, and there's this other book I've been seeing a ton on Twitter because of advanced copies got sent out for people to give feedback on earlier in the year so that they could release it with that feedback changes, obviously. It's called Clown in a Cornfield by Adam Caesar. It's either out now or it comes out really soon, and I'm going to check that out. It looks awesome. Yeah, it's been a while since I've read a horror book, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to, to get back into that. So that's going to wrap it up for the news segment. we got a bunch of movie stuff to talk about, so we're going to get right into that. So, George. I let you pick the movies this week, and you did not disappoint on one front. <laughs> Actually, you disappointed on both fronts. I'll just let you yeah. read this. What's the first movie we're talking about? Two big stinkers this week. Uh, so the first movie uh, is the new Netflix horror comedy, We Summon the Darkness, starring uh, Alexander Daddario, uh, the chick from Hellfest, and Johnny Knoxville. So real star-studded cast here. Uh takes place in the 1980s and it's essentially a group of metalheads go to this concert they take these three guys that they meet there back to their house and uh, begin to murder them in a satanic ritual which turns out to be a front they're actually uh, working for the church and zany antics happen from there and this movie was pretty terrible <laughs> Saying that Johnny Knoxville stars on this is a major stretch. He's in <laughs> one and a half scenes, really. And uh, also, so the three the three main cast members are. I, I want to explain why we were excited for this originally. So Alexandra Daddario is in it, and she also produced it. So she's a great actress, usually. She's got some, like, standout stuff. She plays Alexis. Maddie Hassan plays Val. And I guess she's, like, a CW-tier actress, and she's the one that I get I got criticized a lot for saying has no chemistry with Alexander Daddario, but I feel like it's factual. <laughs> and Amy Forsyth is Beverly, and she's kind of the main character who comes comes into her own, I guess, a little bit. She's from Hellfest, but she's also from Channel Zero Season 2, No End House. And she's yes. really good in 
Hellfest. She carries the entire movie. And then in Channel Zero, she is awesome. She kicks complete ass in that show. And then Johnny Knoxville, I mean, what goes one way or the other. But yeah, this movie could have been and should have been really good just based on who it is. And also the director is the guy who did Burying the X, which we both really like. Really, I think the, the main issues with the movie are like it has a 1980s aesthetic, kind of. It doesn't really lean enough into that. Um, the plot really devolves quickly. There's a ton of padding in the movie. Two of the guys that they're trying to murder get caught in a pantry for an extended period of time, like 30 minutes of a 90-minute runtime of the movie. And one of the main female characters is off screen for another 30 minutes. So it just is really strange structurally and just does not really vibe the entire time. So this is supposed to be like a fun 80s hair metal, you know, teen horror movie. But the problems are right at the forefront from the beginning of the movie. You can tell a lot of the dialogue was ad-libbed, right? Like the conversations. Yeah feel very not written they feel like they're supposed to be natural but again none of that main cast has any chemistry so they're talking about shit they would already know like the the first five minutes of the movie you've got val talking about how she hasn't showered in two days but these people have been on a road trip together so it's like that would never come up right it's it's just dumb shit like that they go they they end up at this metal concert and then once the con before they end up at this metal concert and they're in the parking lot talking to these guys, their victims later in the movie. That scene goes on for what, like five, ten full minutes, and they're just shooting yeah. the shit about these satanic murders. But the the important information is delivered in the first one minute of this conversation. <laughs> and none of these people have any chemistry with each other again. Like the girls are really fucking mean to these guys for ver- like no reason <laughs> at all. And then they go in and they watch the metal concert they didn't get a band to cover a song for the movie no that's really weird you would think at least they'd have some kind of you know you know have like a fake metal song written for the movie or something aquaslash did that <laughs> yeah, aquaslash Aqua had Slash a band playing a song on a stage and they did the whole song it was like a whole music number this movie is built on metal music and they didn't get a band the whole the whole scene of the concert is filmed from the stage and they only play a quarter of a song if that so that's horrible and that's the only metal song in the entire movie yeah there's a few licensed 80s tracks too so it doesn't it can't come down to budget really because they if it if it doesn't come down to budget, they just made poor decisions on what songs they were going to license. And then for the rest of the movie, there's either no score or just weird droning beats that don't match up with what's going on in the movie at all, ever. They're never on beat. They're never even timed up right with the cuts. And it never matches the scenes. Like, this is supposed to be a horror comedy, and it's scored like a cop procedural drama when it is scored. And I looked at the... It's one of these movies that, for some reason, has a whole section dedicated to its score on Wikipedia. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. All, all the tracks, the longest track in this movie is 1 minute and 14 seconds. And then there's one that's 2.42. And, and that's the lo- that's where I started to notice that it's, like, it just beats and, like, weird synth noises. But right in, in that moment, you want something, like, a rising score that's ratcheting up the tension because alexander daddario it turns out that these three characters aren't even metalheads they're just like working for the church as george said so she's dressed weird for where she lives her stepmom's a televangelist's wife she comes in 
and you've got the scene where Alexander Dar is covered in blood. There's a dead body in the back of the house. There's two guys in a closet that are scared of them screaming, right? You're supposed to be ratcheting up the tension. That could be a metal song or something like that. Right. But no, it's like, bum, 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 bum. It's like, what is, what is the editing? Also, I don't want this to turn around and bite me in the ass later because I don't, I can't say I know for sure, but there's a shot right before the moment when Alexander Daddario, Alex and Val are going to spray bug spray or something or cooking oil. I don't know what that was underneath the door to try and smoke these guys out. I shit you not there. I can just tell with my eye that they used autofocus to, to go instead of racking the focus onto her, the camera auto focuses because you know when you can tell autofocus like when you're watching a youtube video when the camera's hunting for focus it autofocus is a lot quicker than a rack focus and it, it focuses in just such a weird way that it just is off-putting it's just really amateur all around like you you we talked about this movie yesterday and i hadn't seen it yet and i i don't think i, I don't think you were harsh enough on it <laughs> honestly <laughs> it's just not nothing really comes together and there's nothing scary about it it doesn't have gory kills at all there's a neck stab that's supposed to be very horrific and just doesn't work at all the way that it's revealed also is another moment where the score totally drops the ball that these girls are bad there's like a supposed to be a turn right where they drug the guy's drinks right but there's no score during that scene or if there is it's more of that droning beat and then they they're playing never have i ever and they reveal that they drug the dude's drinks and then the dudes are just like whoa and then they fall over it's not played for comedy in any way even though it's definitely written to be played for comedy that's another moment too where you could use some tension i mean even the scene where the three of them wake up in the back room and it's all you know satanic on the walls and everything they are about to be murdered that could have been a moment where you do you know like a really like a harsh violin note or something to like yeah show the the heel turn of the characters but it's just completely silent like very very weird yeah and i will say the set design is one standout thing that worked really well for me you've got the big open cornfields and then you've got the house that really does they did pick a house that looks like it was built and decorated in the 80s but you know like the, these six people end up in a backyard around a bonfire and they're just talking about forced shit like what do they mention like metallica and stuff they're just coming up with yeah. every 80s reference they can muster and it, just, it doesn't feel natural in any way because again the, the main cast has virtually no chemistry with each other they don't feel like friends at all and then there's a moment where they reveal that they're not even metalheads and you expect them to start acting different right or maybe change their look in any way it's supposed to be a turn where they take the mask off and reveal that they're completely different people than these guys thought they were but that doesn't happen it's just like a dialogue reveal they act completely the same for the entire movie right and then even when the plot evolves further and you get more into the Catholicism moment where they explain their whole evil plan and how all this has been happening, uh, no one has any consequences for their actions. Like, the end is extremely lackluster. Um, <laughs> it just, like, makes the movie feel so hollow when you're just like, oh, so they just get away with it, I guess. Like, it just, it's, like, kind of set up for a sequel, but if that movie ever gets made, there's no way anybody's going to watch it. It's very strange. Yeah, and when Val gets her hair lit on fire, of course they use CGI flame instead of putting a wig on her and burning it or doing anything, you know, practical, which is what you would want in something like this, especially since it's set in the fucking 80s. 
That's the last movie I want to see any CGI effects in. <laughs> and if you're going to say, like, yeah, the budget doesn't support her hair being lit on fire practically, then don't do it. Write in something else. Like, that's just not smart. It doesn't work. And they have her run around in the background with her CGI hair going off. And it's, I don't know. I, I thought that was horrible, super amateur. They also have... um Amy Forsythe come back. Obviously, she is a heel turn because this is the most cliche movie of all time. She comes back with a boat motor, and somehow they even make that not cool. That could be one of the sweetest weapons to ever have in an <laughs> 80s movie, chopping people up with, like, essentially an overblown weed whacker. And somehow yeah. all she does is just kind of slice Alexander Daddario's legs and then calls it a yeah. day. Sort of cuts her and bashes another character in the face, and I guess knocks him out with the the top of the motor and that just is like way underutilized i mean nothing really works in the movie is is the bottom line it's like the cat like you're saying the cast has no chemistry the plot doesn't like it kind of makes sense but it's completely uninteresting there's so much padding the environments that the characters are stuck in are uninteresting to watch them in and they have the extended scenes where they have to interact with each other and that doesn't work because they have no chemistry with each other and then the ending has no decent resolution. The score is non-existent. It's just every piece of it is non-functional. Yes, and I looked on Rotten Tomatoes because I was positive this would be just completely just ripped apart. It has like a 69% and there's over 60 people reviewed it, like 67 critics. So I'm, I was blown away by that. I, I'm sorry. It's just, it's not competent. It's a really amateur movie. It feels like a high school film, like honestly. And you've got all of these great actors in it and just nothing comes together. So I was like, I got to look into this. I go into top critics. Turns out only three of their top critics rated it. And then if you, uh, if you, you know, switch it to the top critic mode, it's got like a 50%. And even that seems high. And I, again, I'm going to bring it up. How the fuck is trick getting 33% and some guy I went on trick some some real critic like a verified top critic on Rotten Tomatoes gave it zero out of four stars dude unbelievable that movie is infinitely more competent than this it's self-aware it knows what it is it's got great kills awesome effects it's filmed well yeah the acting's a little forced and the dialogue's a little hammy but it's a slasher movie that achieves everything it sets out to do as a slasher it's like if you go into a slasher expecting this year's top drama, you're going to be disappointed. But I went into this movie expecting a fun teenage 80s set comedy, and it doesn't achieve any of its goals. It should have been like a tongue-in-cheek, you know, heavy metal soundtrack, kind of ridiculous kills or like crazy moments. And it just doesn't do any of that. It's just all filler, no killer and no chemistry amongst any characters, no one to root for. And the plot is so uninteresting. There's no point even following it. Yeah. And when you compare it to something like the wretched, it's not even in the same league, dude. Like so many sites have the wretched ranked lower or the same as this. It just blows my mind. And I know that like you can't compare scores when they're from different writers and stuff like that, because that's what people do on IGN all the time. Like they'll compare like, Oh, you gave Call of Duty 97 a 9 out of 10, but you gave Control an 8, and you gave Control Game of the Year. Like You can't really compare it apples to apples like that, but it, it really is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only thing I can think of is that this possibly has more mass appeal just because it's like on a streaming service maybe. 
Right. But I, I would never recommend this movie to, to anyone, honestly. <laughs> I don't even know who it's for. I, if I was a teenager, you know, like when you're a teen, you like movies. Like, uh, what's that one? There's that one where uh, Beyonce's in it and she's the guy's wife and then the white chick comes in and she's fucking nuts and she's trying to dismantle Beyonce's entire life. That movie was awesome. It's called like Unfaithful <laughs> or something. I loved that when I was a kid. I love Bloody or My Bloody Valentine 3D. I loved like you know prom night all these remakes you know because you don't have taste developed yet but even then there's nothing redeeming about this like really honestly it's just i I don't know if it was like for tax purposes or what but it doesn't seem like anyone (laughs) in this movie does wants to be there it's just tired and i hate dumping on movies like this and we talked about it on the interview that's coming up later how we don't really do it that much anymore but like what about this to you felt like creative i mean there really there isn't really an original idea anywhere in the movie i mean it's no it's a satanic panic set time period which has been done before um i I mean it's like kind of a captive movie there's like the religious heel turn which is not not original um I, i i honestly couldn't tell you anything about the movie i mean you know the hero and heroine get away at the end. It's like, there's, there's nothing. It's completely like artistically bankrupt. There's nothing interesting about it. This movie is worse than satanic panic. Everything in it has been done before and better. Can this dog shut the fuck up? (laughs) Seriously? Sorry, everyone. If you can hear the dog barking upstairs, my neighbors are dog sitters and they leave their blinds cracked so the dogs can look out the window and anytime anyone walks by on the street in front the dogs go crazy and they don't do anything about it it's fucking awesome so (laughs) if you can hear that i'm sorry but yeah everything in this movie has been done before and done better and honestly it was done better in fucking satanic panic which is one of the worst movies i've seen in a long time like that the movie has hannah stocking in it which just shows what kind of caliber they were going for and what kind of audience. Like, they're bringing in the Viner turned Instagrammer turned YouTuber who has to hire a full fucking comedy team to write her jokes and she's still not funny. Like, that that's that's what Satanic Panic's going for. That movie's better than this because it has better gore. You've got Grady Hendrix writing and the dialogue actually makes sense for the audience it's going for. And it's it, I will say some of it is funny. And this, <laughs> this doesn't have... I don't think I laughed at a single joke in this movie. Like, I don't like most of the people in the cast of Satanic Panic. Like, none of them do much for me. Like, I love Alexander Daddario, and I'm a huge fan of Amy Forsyth. I I was excited to see that they were in it, and I was just really let down, man. I I don't know how else to put it. I mean, if this is, like, Netflix's best offering as a horror comedy, I know, like, Babysitter 2 is coming out, and I'm... not excited for that at all now after this so i i just no i don't know i feel like you just i i mean we probably should have known no netflix original has really ever blown me away and this this is really no different this movie feels like they put fun teen comedy and horror and progressive into an algorithm and let it write an entire film and then they shot it <laughs> It just feels like, oh, people like true crime right now. Let's throw in the satanic angle. Oh, people are nostalgic for the 80s and they like Metallica. Let's throw in a few references to that. Oh, people are really into female-driven movies right now. Let's make sure it's from their perspective. But we'll make them the bad guys so they're total badasses, right? Yeah, it just is totally manufactured. It it just has, like like you were saying, like nothing 
interesting about it. So I gave We Summon the Darkness a one star. It's a very rare one star for me. And I feel like it's extremely well-deserved. What did you give it? Yeah, I 100% agree. I gave it a one-star review as well. So, George, now that we've talked about We Summon the Darkness, it's time to talk about the real masterpiece of the week, Texas <laughs> Chainsaw 3D. How did we come down on this movie? So, uh, I know I was watching We Summon the Darkness. So I was like, well, it's a new you know, Netflix quote-unquote horror movie. Might be decent to talk about, something people would be interested in. And then you had mentioned earlier in the week that you had watched Texas Chainsaw 3D. So I said, well, we'll make it a Daddario double feature and we'll just talk about those two movies this week. Didn't know they would both be this bad. I mean, I knew Texas Chainsaw 3D was this bad, but having two stinkers in a row is <laughs> not what I was expecting. It's rare. It's a rare occurrence here on the Fear Frequency podcast. So I'll give you some background on this. We talked about uh, the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, Leatherface, on episode one. And this movie ties directly into it because... Like Leatherface, it's connected to the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the second one. So it considers those canon, and it introduces the idea, I guess, that Leatherface's name is Jedediah Sawyer, and it really amps up the ante on this family idea. So if you want the full story, canonically speaking, of the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre, you got to watch the first movie, the second movie, Leatherface, and this and depending on what order you watch them in they get worse in chronological <laughs> order so this is directed by a guy named john lussenhop and i tried to figure out some other stuff he's worked on not a big player in the horror genre unsurprisingly he worked on a movie called takers called with paul walker ti chris brown and hayden christensen so that's the caliber of director they've got uh hanging on set for this one came out in january of 2013 and it was released theatrically that really blew me away. I was convinced this was a VOD movie forever, since 2013. January is obviously normal, normally the time that these studios will dump any movies that they have like zero confidence in and just to have them released in the box office to get some kind of recoup on their investment. And like you were saying, this doesn't even feel like it's a January release caliber movie. It feels like something that they would have never even gotten that big of a budget to put it in theaters for. Exactly. So I had to investigate how this even got made, right? Because uh, Platinum Dunes, who we've mentioned we liked before, they were on a they were on a roll with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? They come out with the remake, which is a pretty one to one remake of the original movie, but with a lot more gore. Everyone loves that Jessica Biel is in it. That movie has a lot of like fans, so they come out with a sequel, which is a prequel, a few years later called Texas Chainsaw: The Beginning, and you kind of see how. People in the family, like the guy with no legs, for example, end up looking how they do. You get a little bit more of an origin on Leatherface. So I thought that movie was pretty good. A lot of other people don't like it. But if you're comparing the remake to it, I feel like they're kind of equivalent. So Platinum Dunes, though, they didn't make a ton of money back on the beginning. So they just basically gave up the rights to Texas Chainsaw Massacre through New Line. New Line just handed them off to Lionsgate, who no longer own the rights either. And they threw this 3D mess into production because around that time we were getting stuff like My Bloody Valentine 3D, Halloween 3D was in production, uh, Piranha 3D, like all these, the 3D was still the gimmick at that point in time around 2013. Somehow, George, this movie originally received an NC-17 rating. Can you think of anything about it that would cause it to have that hard of a rating seriously i have no idea why this would ever be close to an nc-17 rating i mean there's like 
all the gore is like CGI. The there's no nudity in it. I don't think that they give NC seventeen for language, but I don't even remember the language being that extreme. So I mean, to me, it, it's like a decent R, like not even a hard R. So yeah, it was rated NC seventeen. So they kind of had to go back and recut it, I guess, to be able to release it in theaters, which I'm sure was a big pain in the ass because it's shot in three D. Um, the plot though is absolutely nuts. This movie, you've got Dan Yeager playing Leatherface. He's a new Leatherface. They did bring back Gunnar Hansen, the first guy to play him, but he plays the boss of the Sawyer family and I guess dies towards the beginning of the movie. And that's this is where they introduce the Jedediah Sawyer name, as we've already covered. So the plot, George, complete mess. Follows the first movie and the second movie. And after Verna, whose Leatherface's mom, dies, she leaves all of her money and her house, her big estate, and her meat grinding facility like what do you call it like a meat factory yeah like a meat packing plant or something like that yeah she leaves that to this woman named heather this teenager she's played by alexander daddario heather finds out she was adopted when she was a baby because the townspeople came after the sawyers for keeping an insane murderer cannibal in their basement and letting him kill people so they murdered all the sawyers one baby was left alive with a little scar on her titty and they, they they adopted that out to one of the townspeople so she's immediately pissed at her adoptive parents for taking her out of the bloodline of a bunch of murderers. Uh, that's one major in- incongruity here I noticed. But anyway, her and her friends grab their van. They head down to this weird town in Texas. They go to the house. They find Leatherface. We, we don't have to go-, go too deep into the plot because it's insane. But there's one scene that really stood out to both of us. <laughs> Leatherface chases Alexander Daddario to a carnival. And you really like this moment. Yeah, so I think the carnival, first of all, is just kind of a cool setting for the movie. You know, I I like that where all the townspeople kind of getting together. Visually pretty interesting. Um, But Alexander Dario's character is kind of riding a Ferris wheel and Leatherface is attempting to cut down the Ferris wheel with his chainsaw. And uh, I believe Scott Eastwood is the police officer and he points his gun at him and, you know, tells him to freeze or drop his weapon and Leatherface throws his chainsaw at him in 3D, so it's a, the effect is completely flat and uh, uninteresting <laughs> on anything but a 3D screen. And after he throws the chainsaw, he very awkwardly runs into the woods, which is just so funny to me. It has extremely strong wrong turn energy, like three-finger energy, the way he runs into the woods. It's incredible. <laughs> and this movie's cast is, is nuts. Yeah. So you've got Scott Eastwood playing the, that, that deputy George was just talking about, Deputy Carl Hartman. And he's his dad, uh, Bert Hartman, I guess, he's like leading the charge against the Sawyers. So obviously the Sawyers find out, or the, the Hartmans find out that the Sawyers are still alive, a.k.a. Leatherface is still alive. And after they rescue Alexander Daddario after this carnival... She discovers the whole backstory on why her family was killed, right? And then she decides that she's on their side, the Sawyer side. So she leaves the police station, gets picked up by the Hartmans. They take her to the meatpacking factory. Leatherface shows up and sees her little birthmark. And he's like, oh, shit, we're cousins. So we get the best line ever put to film in a horror movie. When Leatherface uses his chainsaw to untie her, she runs away but decides to come back. She tosses him (laughs) his chainsaw and says, do your thing, cuz. So Leatherface is turned into sort of an anti-hero, which I don't understand because... (laughs) I mean, do you want to explain why it's odd that Leatherface is an anti-hero? Uh, I mean, it's strange because he just murdered her entire friend group throughout the course of the movie. And 
uh, is a serial killer and eats people. So um, turning him into a hero is a bit, a bit of a weird heel turn. <laughs> One of her friends is killed by the police officers. They they go to the Sawyer Mansion, right? And they're walking through. And one of her friends, who was uh, just kind of like nicked with the chainsaw, she's in a cooler. And when the police officer opens up the cooler, she screams and he shoots her right through the middle of her forehead. And then the police kind of are like, okay, we'll cover that up. It's fine. Get the hell out of there. And Leatherface comes and destroys this guy. And it's still not enough... <laughs> For me personally to side with Leatherface or the Sawyers because again they're cannibals I feel like we need to keep mentioning this and they've murdered tons of innocent people and the cops are just kind of corrupt so I mean apples to oranges there but I'm still going to side with not the Sawyers so after this whole event where do your thing cuz is uttered by Alexander Daddario she goes back to the Sawyer mansion reads the letter that Verna left her and decides that yes she will now forever be Leatherface's new keeper and just allow him to live in the basement and uh, her family her real family who raised her and really did nothing wrong shows up and they're like hey can we move in because we you know we're poor and she six leather face on them which i i also don't understand <laughs> for for the ma- major sin of taking her in and raising her as a normal person instead of uh, a cannibal i i just really don't understand that in any, in any way shape or form like the turn to have her, like, connect with her Sawyer roots and become loyal to her bloodline that is a bunch of murdering cannibals is just the weirdest plot point to me, and I just can't get over it. I can't either. It just doesn't make any sense. I, I, this whole movie is just a mess. Like, the mansion looks cool, right? Some of the kills are awesome, like, where the guy gets sawed in half. That was a real standout moment for me. They have a direct shot of a full body prosthetic being sawed in half while it's be while, while it's hung from the ceiling it's awesome it looks really cool but then you've got all these goofy ass moments like george mentioned where leatherface throws a chainsaw and runs off into the woods and he wrote down here that he has a chainsaw like dresser <laughs> like a wardrobe of chainsaws he goes back and gets his gets his second one out of <laughs> he just has a ton of them <laughs> in storage yeah so I, I just don't get it. Overall, like, what? I give this movie, like, one and a half stars. It's definitely not a two star. No. I mean, it might be another one star. Uh, not a lot really salvageable out of this one. I, I'll give it the one and a half for the little run scene for the, <laughs> the chainsaw throat. Yeah, I mean, Leatherface is definitely, like, a very creepy and imposing character. You know, a giant, super strong cannibal murderer with a chainsaw is a scary sight for sure that's gonna wrap it up for this week's episode of fear frequency i think this was worth recording again because it was a lot of fun talking about this movie and also we have that awesome interview with evan dossi coming right up so stick around you got any uh closing words for the audience george no i think that uh pretty much covers it all right well i'm gonna get to work editing this monster and yeah i hope you guys enjoy the interview see you next week All right, everyone, we're back here on the episode, even though we're pre-recording this and it's going after the first half. That's kind of weird. Uh, we're here with Evan Dossi. Is that how you say your name? Yes. And the fun thing is, guys, we don't know Evan. We actually, <laughs> after recording last week's episode, went to the Director of Tricks website and under the press section, Evan's review for the Midwest Film Journal was uh, featured there, and we thought it was great. We read through it together, and we're like, damn, this is really good. 
we're going to cold call, reach out to him because the Midwest Film Journal had a, a like a contact email, answered immediately, and we set up this cool 40-minute limited by Zoom interview. Uh, I appreciate you guys reaching out. Uh, I'll tell you what, I woke up to that email. I go to bed, really? you know, I have a one-year-old, um, and, you know, these days I work from home with my, with my day job, so I, I have about, uh, I go to bed usually at like 9.30 p.m. my time. Since you guys are on Pacific time, I, I woke up to that email and I couldn't believe it. I honestly uh, thought, I thought it was because, you know, Trick is Trick is a movie where, you know, you can watch it on Hulu now for anyone who doesn't know. And you should watch it on Hulu now because it it is awesome. It, it's one of those movies. I you know the Midwest Film Journal, just to give you some background, I started it a few years ago. I've been reviewing movies, uh, strictly text-based reviews, sort of classic movie criticism with some friends uh for for about 10 years now in the indianapolis area and we started midwest film journal uh i think three years ago and i'm part of the indiana film journalists association and one of the things that i've always tried really hard to do is review these uh, smaller movies direct to vod movies before we you know nowadays everything's direct to vod but for years you know you get these movies that are direct to vod especially horror where like <sighs> It, and it is like it's sifting through like tons of crap for something <laughs> super you know and, but once in a while there's something really good and uh last year last october we were right in the middle of uh you know halloween season my site runs a, a series called no sleep october where i bring in guest reviewers to to do guest essays on various horror films so i'm always watching a lot of horror around that time anyway and i get this email uh, from RLJE, the distributor, who sends me a lot of stuff. Them and Welgo. Yes. Man, you guys. I got it. I don't know. I think I'm going crazy. Welgo is fucking great, yeah. aren't they? Oh, man. Yeah, they are. Oh, I still can't believe it. I can't believe I woke up to an email from you guys saying, let's talk about Trick. Cause, cause, and I always say, yeah, send me a screening link. I'll watch it. If I get, you know, five minutes into a movie, I'm not feeling it. I'll give it another five. If not, I just won't review it. I just won't finish it because I have you know, too much going on, too many movies to watch. Like they don't need yeah. another asshole review from yeah. like a critic <laughs> who's just like using it as target practice. I, I, I fully expected to hate it as well. Like I, oh, yeah. I threw it on up on Hulu because I knew it came out last year, <laughs> threw it on and I was like, George, you kind of watch this movie. <laughs> it's so good. We're both very pleasantly surprised. Guys, it was... So I rewatched it the other day because I because I wanted to have it fresh and 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 as soon as I was watching I'm like the so so uh, for anyone is this spoiler are we okay to talk spoilers yeah, we talked about it last week okay we the entire movie yes I, <laughs> I listened to that episode I was okay. excited I was excited that the first kill you guys mentioned was the gravestone crane kill it's oh it's so good completely <laughs> iconic <laughs> oh and the way they have like the way they have the one cop just randomly randomly be like oh I, I met a girl i met someone and they're like ah oh, this movie just gets it like it gets <laughs> it is it is tongue-in-cheek tongue-in-cheek enough to be making fun of itself but it's still a straightforward slasher movie taking the slasher tenants seriously while making fun of it without falling too far into the whole like it doesn't matter. We're just a parody thing. Exactly. That's that's kind of um, why I really liked it. And also, we're in it for sure. Gary J. Tunacliffe and his awesome effects, which he never gets credit for. And this was kind of like a big break for Todd Farmer, I think, too, because after Drive Angry, the dude, like, essentially became homeless. 
and he just didn't get any jobs for a long time and then he reconnected with Patrick the director because they were a duo they were like uh like Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett and then yeah. they both kind of took their own opportunities went off and did their own things and then they kind of reconnected it is not even in the same orbit as a one-star movie no, we've watched plenty of one-star movies and this is far from that but Without I read on a the Midwest Horror or Midwest Film Journal that you yeah. don't actually you didn't like horror movies, but then you started watching them for the October event. You yeah. Did. So do you like them now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So back in 2013 when we started No Sleep October, um, and for a few years it was just me. It was yeah. No, I I was uh, I had a lot of I just I couldn't take them, and so I decided it was a major gap in my knowledge. And now it's pretty much, uh, for instance, so uh, every year in Indianapolis, there's the Heartland Film Festival. So I actually programmed the Heartland Horror uh, block that they started last year. Wow, that's incredible. actually it's like a huge turnaround. I, I'm currently deep in um, watching the screeners that for uh, the submissions for this year's uh, Heartland Film Festival that is online only and uh, drive through. Have you seen In Fabric by Peter Strickland? No, but that's on my list, and I know what it's about. <laughs> so. So uh, In Fabric was our headline movie last year um, because at that point, A24 had been sitting on it for like a year and a half. And the guy who programs Heartland, who's a friend of mine, um, we've sort of become better friends while doing Heartland Horror. He's like, hey, do you want to get In Fabric? And uh, I don't know if you guys have had the problem, but A24 tends to be kind of hit or miss with screeners. So Heartland Film Festival has this uh, reputation for being stodgy and uh, feel goody for old people because it's Indianapolis and there's essentially any uh, underground culture here is, it's not displayed, even though it's present. Uh, and so in fabric plays and my partner, Sam Watermeyer and I get up there, we give our speech about Heartland Horror, how much we love horror films, how, you know, in 2020 we've, we've programmed uh, Indie Shorts was last month and then Heartland Film Festival later with Indie Horror, but we have in fabric as a preview. So we walk out of the theater and this old lady, comes up to me and she says, you're the Heartland Horror guy? And I said, yeah. And she said, that's the most offensive thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And you should be ashamed of yourself and Heartland Film Festival should never work with you ever again. And I was like, uh, okay, lady. And she like gave me the shit eye and just walked out of the theater. That's really yeah. genuinely cool to hear the like, yeah. people coming around on the genre because you know, like a lot of people get scared of it when they're kids and then they just assume that's how they're going to feel about it when they get older. Like when I was a kid, Halloween 5 scared the shit out of me. But then now I think that's like one of the funniest and worst movies ever like, put to film. So it's always really cool. And I'm glad I, I found that little like blurb on your site because we were like, we didn't know how to prepare for this. We had people on the show all the time, but we were like, this is hilarious to us and us only that we just found this like awesome critic that were and then he answered us like you took the joke a lot farther than we expected you to and then we we're like oh shit we actually want to talk to him this is great like i i have a lot of followers on twitter that are like horror fans right like they they like they're all in yeah. on a24 you tweet about trick and it's a ghost town like no one not only has no one seen this movie but i don't think anyone's even heard of it which is crazy because rlj seems to really get a lot of press and shine from all the bigger horror outlets. Yeah. And then you look at the reviews that it got, and obviously most of them are negative, which is what we keep mentioning. And people just seem to miss the point entirely. 
on the movie. And I, I, I'm like, I don't, I'm not one of those people who dogs on critics because I guess to some extent, George and I both are critics, but like there's all of these movies like Trick, The Wretched is a new one that just came out. I'm sure you saw that are presented with this slasher or this monster movie and they want to nitpick it for the dumbest shit. Like they want to nitpick Trick for the hammy dialogue or they want to nitpick The Wretched because the plot is a little simple in a monster movie and it's like you're missing the point entirely like every movie doesn't need to be this life-changing event that is going to make you depressed for a week and i (laughs) i I like that there are critics out there like you can kind of like see both sides of the fence and know where you should come down based on what the movie is well i I appreciate it yeah i mean i have a similar philosophy to you guys especially with horror films i mean and actually, I, I had to go search my email. I did get an invite to see The Wretched. I've been, this summer has all been watching. For me, it's, you know, I've been watching uh, screener after screener of submissions for Heartland in addition yeah, to definitely. whatever else. So I've had to let a lot of these films go under the radar. And it's been really, I mean, it's been killing me. But I've been watching a lot of these uh, indie horror movies. And I mean, they're festival worn indie horror movies. The shorts especially, like, just speak entirely to what you were saying about how like you can you can nitpick horror too much like there's something it, it doesn't have to have perfect dialogue i mean it doesn't have to be midsummer there, there's highbrow i mean there's also i mean i hate to use the word highbrow horror i saw you guys saw the rental like <laughs> we came out so lukewarm on it oh god <laughs> yeah that. we were like it was okay at best it's always interesting to see how people try to do deconstructive horror or whatever right. but like in contrast the trick like trick clearly gets it like you mentioned halloween five like i love that entire series with the exception of zombies first halloween actually that's that's one of my least favorite ones too yeah it misses so much it doesn't get the 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 fun part of it where like i mean the point is is to i mean is to enjoy the film and even if it's not scaring you but like the rest of the halloween movies like every other halloween movie is you can nitpick all of them to high hell and i and i actually wrote a really long essay for no sleep october two years ago because I, I ended up watching all of them in a row for the yeah, first time. Yeah, I read time. through that. Because I was looking yeah. to see what you thought of the, those movies. Because that's like yeah. our focus, really. It's the spirit of Halloween, the like feeling of fall. And then we yes. talk about, we bring those movies up like every week. My wife and I will start watching horror movies in like June or July every year. Because we're just fucking ready for that feeling. And and like she and I watched the Halloween movies all the way through. She'd never seen any. I'd watched one several times. Um See, look, I'm looking at my my review, and like I I shit on Halloween three. It was the first time I saw it, but that movie okay. has stuck with me so hard. It has that something to it, and like it's an indescribable something those Halloween movies specifically have that I think Trick has too, where it just yeah. it captures that feeling perfectly. They're and, shot way better than they have to be. Like Trick is the, sure. one of the cleanest, like most well lit horror movies I've seen. In oh, a long for sure. Time. You could look into any frame of that movie and you've got the full picture. There's nothing hidden that you need to be checking out. They have a really good sense of framing and scale. That movie's budget must have been like, what, a million bucks? That intro that they have, it's just like Halloween 4. They perfectly nail the fall feeling. And then even though they move into winter, everyone's experienced that who doesn't live in a you know, a hot, arid state like California. You know, sometimes it's a total crapshoot. It might be 80 degrees on Halloween, but then it also might be 30 degrees on uh, November 1st. And I feel like the movie really vibe with that i mean I also just like like love that trick's knife it says trick-or-treat on it but then he yeah, also so has good. the mask which is the trick-or-treat face it's right. like you can't just pick one and it, the ah. cinder block kill when he just 
he flips the knife yes. and he trick and he jumps at it. It's just like it's fun. <laughs> it's and in the end, and like I love how it gets all the way to the final like twenty minutes, and then it has this massive twist that is sort of unnecessary, but also sort of awesome because it's so ambitious. Like, yeah, it becomes like a second movie right at the very end there where they could have clearly ended it right with the, where they both fall on the car and then trick rolls off. Like that could have been credits roll, but they're like, no, we got more gas in the tank. Don't worry about it. We got to set up a sequel that will probably never happen, but I would fucking love if it did. I have to go back to something you said about how you can pick apart the dialogue and trick. Like the moment I knew I loved this movie is the very beginning when, when, when Patrick is, is lying in the hospital bed and I can't, and, and, and the guy's like, he is one sick son of a bitch. It knows, it knows what kind of movie it is. Yeah, and then and then when they're talking about how Trick is so smart, he's making his teachers feel stupid or what? I, I can't remember the exact line of dialogue, but it's just like so. It it does the job. It knows the conventions of the slasher genre, so the slasher is interesting. I mean, that's the problem with the rental is that the slasher himself is completely uninteresting. Like, it's trying to be this like. I mean, the rental is like, well, we're this heightened thing and we're trying to be like the general fear of, and it's like, okay, well, just, I mean, can you just kill someone in, like in an interesting way? I just, uh, I just watched um, Your Next. That's one of my favorite movies. I haven't, I haven't oh, yeah. seen it in a long time though. Like probably honestly, since the year after it came out and for no discernible reason, because I love it. The approach on that movie was so much better than the rentals even though i feel like they were trying to get to the same point b your next is good because it follows the rules of a slasher movie but then kind of gives it its own perspective sure and the rental ignores all of the rules of a slasher movie and then acts kind of like flippant about it yes just expects you to accept it and that's why i don't think it really works all that well because you've got that same mumble core dialogue either works for people or it doesn't it works for me like that wasn't my issue with it my issue is like it really lacked in terms of being a slasher movie and then they they tease you with all this cool shit right at the end like the credit sequence is awesome the killer's like setting up this apartment and then this family comes out i'm like i want to see that movie like, I feel like I just watched the trailer or the deck that you're going to show to get you funded. <laughs> felt very much the same way at the end of that movie. I was more, I was way more engaged with the end credits of the rental than I was the actual movie. And, and like, shit, that cast is so talented and like, they make the dialogue and characters work. And then, you know, the rental could have used uh, someone sitting in a chair with the uh, cinder blocks weighing down a garret wire. <laughs> yeah, and like that kill goes the extra mile too by having the lady with her ha- her fingers yes. underneath the wire. It's like that is so unnecessary. But they they not oh. only show all the fingers falling off, which is incredible. They show her holding up the hand, and that lady gives the most authentic like when she goes yes. to the bathroom right before that. She's just like fuck. It's like so good. I've never heard a more authentic oh. line delivery ever in any movie, not just a horror movie. I was just like, damn, like she's shocked. Like, I believe, I believe that. It was like yeah. Oscar delivery for me. I loved it. So many horror movies, they say, we're going to have a scene in a cornfield and we're going to not set it up as a cornfield. But this movie went all out, got like a real haunted house type cornfield, yeah. corn maze that actually looked like one I'd want to go through. That's why Haunt worked for me so well. I was like, I'd actually like to go through this haunted house if it wasn't like a murder for sure. house. <laughs> you guaranteed to die at the end. Yeah. I can't speak for other critics and what they're looking for. I do. I can say at the end, at the end of the year, for 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 those of us who sort of dedicate our, our free time and hobby time to to watching um, to watching new releases and, and writing film criticism and 
I mean, our websites take, at least my personal preferences, I, I really don't bother writing negative reviews anymore. But like by October, like a lot of us, you know, you're getting your academy screeners and you're trying to, if you're in a voting organization, you're, you're already thinking like, I need to get my time right so I can watch all these movies so that I can, I can participate in the end of year voting or like, and, and like when a movie like Trick comes along, I think a lot of critics are already, they've already moved on. Ah, yeah, your movie really sucked. Why didn't you do this? And then they come out and say, well, you know, we didn't have the budget or, you know, this actor or actress just didn't want to, you know, play it that way. So, yeah, but with Trick, I mean, I remember Trick come, came out last year. We were already, I had already had a stack of 75 screeners from various <laughs> studios that we had to watch. And we were in the, the middle of Heartland last year, which was really so big. it's crazy festival, that you even so. reviewed it. Like, yeah, I, I don't even, I, I, honest, I honestly don't remember why I chose to start watching it one night. It just fucking blew me away. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I was so happy that I, uh, I still can't believe you guys actually reached out to me to talk about it because... It feels like I have not been able to fully express my love for Trick. We're a very small fan club. There's not many people singing Trick's praises. Yeah, I no. almost made the joke like there's dozens of us, but there's three of us. <laughs> right. We're all right here. Yeah. I haven't even I haven't even been able. So uh, one of the things that a couple of fellow critics and I do in Indianapolis, just privately, we do a thing called the Fuck Yeah Film Festival every summer. How game are you to show Trick in the future? <laughs> I mean, something we were trying to get together before everything went with the hell was we were trying to, um, at some point, try to move our Fuck Yeah Film Festival programming and, and rent out a theater or something and okay. actually have an event. And and Trick is is one of those movies that I have banked in my in my log. So every year with our, our Fuck Yeah Film Festival, we do like you gotta 15, put it like right in the middle. 20 films. Uh, I, Trick, it deserves to be one of those movies. So you know how in Trick, they're showing Night of the Living Dead? Yeah. they're screening someday there needs to be a uh, indie horror film where the film being shown during the murders is trick oh i feel God. like rlj <laughs> wouldn't give a shit and probably patrick, not you it's patrick lussier or lessier yeah. slant i don't think he'd care he seems to be really into the movie he really is kind of early 2000s horror royalty uh my bloody valentine 3d it gets a lot of shit because it's easy to just look at the trailer and say like oh that's garbage but it really did encapsulate what people wanted at that time it was kind of like the ultimate version of it you've got like 3d it's a remake and it's yeah. way gorier than the original by magnitudes from that standpoint he did everything right and now i'm kind of seeing that movie get its time in the sun because i'm sure scream factory did a release last year or something that's making people pretend they always liked it. I, I was hoping that Trick would kind of like launch his, relaunch his career. I mean, not that the guy hasn't had a lot going on because he's written a few Terminator movies. So he's obviously making yeah. money. I hope it doesn't discourage him from sticking with the slasher genre because he, he knows what makes it work. And I feel like he could show that to someone with a lot of money and say like, look, slashers are big right now. We've got Child's Play, which is horrible. We've got <laughs> yes. Halloween 2018, which is pretty good and now i want to do and i like that he did an original thing instead of a remake because that's what i feel like anyone else would go towards sure i mean he he spent time doing the scream tv series didn't he george found it he like hit me up and he was like hey you gotta watch this and because ty west directed a few of the episodes oh yeah which is crazy you don't expect to see his name on something like no <laughs> and there's a lot of great directors in that like that show got all of the directors that should have been on ash versus evil dead no i mean my bloody valentine 3d is definitely it's it would be nice for trick to get some it would be nice for trick to get like a boutique blu-ray release someday so evan 
yeah. We have to wrap up the episode. Where can we find you online? Where, where should we start looking for your work? Uh, you can find me at Midwest Film Journal. Um, the Twitter is uh, M- MFJ. Follow our Twitter or our Facebook page. We were doing our new No Sleep October uh, column series in October. We're doing a Keanu Reeves column series in September called Keanu World Order. And we're actually always accepting if, if you uh, email at midwestfilmjournal at gmail.com. Um, if you're interested in writing, um, drop us a line. We're always interested in running guest writers. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you so much for joining us. This was a ton of fun. I'm very appreciative of the fact that you were game for this random podcast. 